Ladies and gentlemen, I wanted to introduce a new sponsor to the podcast. Hillsdale College has been a longtime sponsor of the broadcast. And for the new year, they've graciously agreed to exclusively sponsor the first hour or segment of the podcast. I believe deeply in the principles and mission of Hillsdale College, which I share with you during the upcoming segment. My thanks and appreciation to Hillsdale College for their long partnership with the show. And now, the podcast. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 Mr. Producer, I cannot hear the uh, program. I hear you telling me to go. I do not hear the program. Well, well, well. There's a lot to talk about, but I'm, there we go. Now I hear the music. All right, you can kill it now. All right, there we go. We got it worked out. We have some new equipment. We've replaced our North Korean equipment with South Korean equipment, I think. So uh, hopefully it'll work in the future. Uh, There's been a lot of talk about Steve King. Uh, People have jumped out. He should resign. He should be sanctioned. He should be tarred and feathered. He should be hanged from telephone poles. Honestly, I'm trying to get to the bottom of this. I read what he said in the New York Times and how they excerpt it. I heard what uh, Kevin McCarthy had to say. I looked at Steve King's response. It was really a stupid statement. Very stupid. He says, look, that's not the context in which I discuss this. I would encourage the New York Times to release the recording so we can get a full transcript of everything that was said. Uh, I don't don't know why Steve King talks this way. Maybe he's inarticulate. I don't believe he's a Klansman dressed up as a congressman. If he is, uh, that's been news to the people of Iowa for 18 years and news to the Republican Party for 18 years. And I make no excuses. I've been targeted by neo-Nazis and Klansmen. We've had to have detectives investigate this stuff around here, my home and my business. What was that website called, Mr. Producer? I always forget it. The Daily Stormer. I was the person they hated the most. Always me with a big nose or a Jewish star on my shirt in a concentration camp uh, outfit, that sort of stuff. So this is serious stuff to me. And if I believe and know for sure that this is where Steve King is coming from, then I'll join the ranks of all the others. But here's the thing that does bother me. So I make no excuses for him. But here's the thing that does bother me. I've been talking about rising anti-Semitism within the Democrat Party in the Obama administration. In much of what Jimmy Carter says, Keith Ellison, Louis Farrakhan, Al Sharpton, these two new congresswomen, one's a Palestinian, they're both Muslims, Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, the things that they have said are pretty incredible. Keith Ellison became deputy chairman of the DNC. He's now attorney general of Minnesota. 
the things that Jimmy Carter has said about Israel, the things that John Kerry said in a speech he gave, I believe it was 20, 25 days before leaving office, just eviscerating the Jewish state and Netanyahu, the efforts by Obama to interfere in the elections in Israel, and his treatment of Netanyahu in the United States, and his final act directing John Kerry to vote against Israel in the United Nations, which the, Weizen, the, the Wiesenthal Center was, said was the greatest act of anti-Semitism of that year. We can see this in Pew Research polls, the attitudes towards Israel versus Palestinians. 79% of Republicans say they sympathize more with Israel than the Palestinians, compared with just 27% of Democrats. Now, Pew looked at this in the party's progressive wing. And the share of liberal Democrats who sympathize more with Israel than Palestinians has declined from 33% to 19% since 2016. Currently, nearly twice as many liberal Democrats say they sympathize more with the Palestinians than with Israel, 35 to 19%. The Palestinian Authority and Hamas do not embrace our values and our principles. They're both terrorist organizations. Hamas is considered a terrorist organization by our own government. And the Democrat Party, more and more, is the place where these anti-Semites go. And I would argue that these two congresswomen are exactly what I say they are, anti-Semites. I've been calling them out for weeks. I called out Keith Ellison on day one. The Democrats elected him as their deputy chairman of the DNC. And there's this growing movement within the Democrat Party. Democrat candidate after Democrat candidate with Al Sharpton. I know he tries to rewrite his past, but it's all there for everybody to read, and some of us actually lived it. Louis Farrakhan, they hid a picture. They hid a picture of Farrakhan with Obama for years. Obama's closest friends, or among his closest friends, when he was a grown adult. Bernadine Dorn, Bill Ayers, radical hard leftists, part of that same hardcore Marxist leftist movement that despises the state of Israel. And then you have, of course, Khalidi, Professor Khalidi, with his ties to Hamas against, or previously, again, with Obama. Now, why am I bringing all this up? Because I keep bringing all this up. Some people are trying to catch on now, starting to catch on. Some radio hosts are starting to catch on, a few others. But you would think while they're having this vote on Steve King, I don't socialize with Steve King. I don't talk to Steve King. What's he been on this program once, maybe, Mr. Producer? I have no idea. So I'm no special pleader for him or any member of Congress. 
Let the chips fall where they may. But why is it that there is this vote, fine, but not another vote? Not another resolution coming out of the House of Representatives. I think it's important that they reject racism. Why aren't they rejecting anti-Semitism? Growing anti-Semitism within the Democrat Party, within the progressive movement, on our college campuses. From your typical liberal Democrat to your radical Democratic Socialist. Our immigration policies invite more and more people into this country. Look, I'm laying it out. Who are of this mindset. And we're not allowed to talk about it. And it's in our face. There was a book written by Professor Stephen Norwood. It's a brilliant man. Called Anti-Semitism and the American Far Left. We know all about the alt-right and the fascists. And that's bad enough. It's horrific. But what about the socialists? What about the communists? What about the new left? What about the modern democratic socialists? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has said many outrageous things on this subject. She's never pressed on it. We're told you better watch out. She's really appealing to millennials. With all the media coverage she has received, she's never been pressed on this. Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is quick to issue press releases in condemnation when the Jewish state is trying to protect itself against the Hamas terrorists, among others. Because Bernie Sanders is a Marxist. And that's what they believe. Karl Marx himself, born a Jew, was a self-hating Jew and an anti-Semite. And there are many of them. How many times have I gotten behind this microphone and talked about the New York Times? Now a little chattering class in the media, they, they kind of pick up on this stuff, and that's good. Be nice if they from time to time did some original thinking and research, but they're incapable of it. I get it. Schulzberger. In the 30s and 40s. He's a Jew. He's Jewish. He was also a progressive. And he wasn't the only one to conceal what was taking place in Europe. He wasn't the only one. There were many. In the United States Senate today, there are several who voted with Obama on the Iran deal. The government of Israel told us this is an existential threat. You're going to be effectively allowing Iran, which has slaughtered American soldiers, which backs Hezbollah, which in 1983 blew up that marine barracks, and almost 200 of our fellow Americans, who's responsible for the slaughter of more of our soldiers in Iraq than anybody else. A terrorist organization backing Hezbollah 
as its militia wing. And despite their objections and despite the obvious threat it poses for us, can you imagine ICBMs with nuclear warheads with these throwbacks threatening Los Angeles and San Francisco, then Chicago and Detroit, ultimately New York and Washington? Can blackmail us? Can you imagine? And yet, the prior administration lied through its teeth about the Iran deal, lied to the American people. Remember that Ben Rhodes piece? Proud of how they manipulated the media. Proud. And then, on the way out the door, on the way out the door, John Kerry delivers... An unbelievably hateful, hateful speech against the state of Israel. But none of them have to worry on the left. None of them have to worry in the Democrat Party because they know there'll never be a resolution. There'll never be a censor, a censorship vote. There'll never be a condemnation. Nothing. Not even from the Republican leadership. Not even from the Republican leadership. Nothing. Where are all the voices? Look at the Democrat Party. Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter has a Jewish problem. He wrote a book. I think it was around 2007. I'm doing this from memory, but I read it. Palestine, peace, not apartheid. Absolutely eviscerating the Jews or the Jewish state. Never discusses the Jewish refugees who were prevented from entering Palestine before and after the war in 1939 and 1947. They have a very limited view of history goes back about 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Kerry, at the UN, the United States votes, attacking Israel, first time ever, for holding occupied territory. Occupied territory. That vote, I believe, was uh, in 2016. Actually, it abstained on a UN Security Council resolution condemning Israel for settlement construction. Just listen to the propaganda in the Democrat left-wing media. The West Bank. What the hell is the West Bank? Those of you who read the Bible, those of you who read even ancient history, what the hell is the West Bank? There is no West Bank. That's a term concocted by the Jordanians who have absolutely no legal or religious or historical right to Judea or Samaria. That's their names. Judea, Samaria. Not the West Bank. It's no coincidence it's named Judea. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. 
Have you ever thought about the word education? It means to lead forth. Now, let me tell you about a place that leads forth. Hillsdale College. At Hillsdale, students are challenged to discover the right way forth by reading the greatest books by the greatest minds in history. And they learn the meaning of the three ultimate and related things, the good, the true, and the beautiful. Now, unfortunately, many of our nation's other colleges have lost their way. Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse. Rejecting the idea of objective truth, they peddle moral and cultural relativism. But as we begin a new year, we can be thankful that none of this applies to Hillsdale College. For almost two centuries, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. As Hillsdale enters its 175th year, it remains committed to offering its students the very best liberal arts education in the land, as well as to extending its mission nationwide through its many outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. These include free online courses, the publication of its Free Speech Digest and Primus, its Kirby Center for Constitutional Studies and Citizenship in Washington, D.C., and its Barney Charter School Initiative, which is helping to establish classical K-12 charter schools nationwide, pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. This is Hillsdale College. Please visit Hillsdale. Go to hillsdale.edu to learn more. That's hillsdale.edu. I have no problem with the House voting as the House votes. I just don't understand why it didn't include this or doesn't vote on this at some point. We're going to have Vice President Pence on the program, by the way, after the bottom of the hour to discuss the wall so-called shutdown and so forth, because I want his insight on that. But just to point out here, you have the Combating BDS Act of 2019. BDS is a, an effort to economically strangle the state of Israel, to destroy it. Uh, it's been pushed by the Palestinians and certain Muslim organizations, pushed into Europe. By the way, pushed by some left-wing Jewish organizations, pushed into the United States, where it's now spreading among certain radical elements in the United States. So it was, uh, it was Bill S-1, the Strengthening American Security in the Middle East Act of 2019. And it was presented to be voted on in the Senate, and it was blocked by Chuck Schumer and the Democrats. They couldn't reach the 60-vote pinnacle to avoid a filibuster. And you know why it was blocked? They said, well, it's a government shutdown. We're not doing anything. That's not why it was blocked. It was blocked because they have Democrats especially on the House side, where they didn't want open debate on this on the floor of the House. They didn't want to show that a minority, but significant minority, and a growing minority of members of the House within the Democratic caucus would vote against it. This is a huge problem, ladies and gentlemen. I've been talking about it for a long, long time. It's only going to get worse. When we come back, the Vice President of the United States, Mike Pence. Our nation's oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what is beautiful, and hold up what is good. But the vast majority of them have abandoned their missions. Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse. Rejecting the idea of objective truth, they peddle moral and cultural relativism. Thankfully, none of this applies to Hillsdale College. 
For almost two centuries, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. As Hillsdale enters its 175th year, it remains committed to offering its students the very best liberal arts education in the land, as well as to extending its mission nationwide through its many outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. These include free online courses, the publication of its Free Speech Digest and Primus, its Kirby Center for Constitutional Studies and Citizenship in Washington, D.C., and its Barney Charter School Initiative, which is helping to establish classical K-12 charter schools nationwide. Pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844, this is Hillsdale College. Please visit hillsdale.edu to learn more. That's hillsdale.edu. Hillsdale.edu. It's an honor. How are you, sir? Mark, it's great to be back on the program. I'm, I'm well. We're in the fight. President Trump is standing strong for border security. We couldn't be more grateful for your support. Well, I'll tell you what. This has been an issue that's been important to me and my audience for decades. And um, we've had promise after promise from Republican presidents, Democrat presidents, Republican congresses, Democrat congresses. They vote in 2006 to authorize it. Then they say they want billions and billions for the wall. Then the president of the United States says, okay, I want a physical barrier. I want a wall, a steel wall, whatever. And uh, look at this. We're loggerheads. How do you explain this? Well, first thing, and I'll explain it in, on, in a positive light. We've got a saying around here, promises made, promises kept. I mean, if you could define the last two years, it would explain why, why this president is standing so strong on, on building a wall, having a barrier at our southern border, ending this crisis of uh, humanitarian and security proportions on our southern border, and dealing with illegal immigration, is that's because he made a promise to the American people that he'd do it. I mean, whether it was moving the embassy to Jerusalem, whether it be cutting taxes, whether it be rebuilding our military, appointing conservatives to our courts, y- you talk about it every day. But this president promised it. He's going to keep that promise. And uh, and I got to tell you, your listeners all over the country have an opportunity to make a difference right now, because even though a majority of Americans now recognize there's a crisis at our southern border, 2,000 people a day attempt to come into this country illegally on the southern border, uh, literally br- bringing with them uh, hardship, heartache, but also uh, there there are criminals, there's violence that comes in, narcotics that flows in. I mean, but in the midst of all of that crisis, as I sit here in my in my office in the White House, Democrats refuse to even sit down and negotiate. Eight hundred thousand federal employees out of work, missing paychecks, a crisis at our southern border and Democrats refuse to even sit down at the table. The American people deserve better. And your listeners can send the word out far and wide call their congressman, call their senator, and tell them we expect you to sit down with the president and deal with the crisis at our border and achieve border security. You know, Mr. Vice President, there's a lot of freshman Democrats in the House who are elected by Republicans and Democrats in fairly Republican districts. And if they go along in this sort of Rockettes chorus line with Nancy Pelosi and the other type of San Francisco Democrats in the hard left, they're likely to lose their seats. Do you think they realize that? I think they do. We're actually getting a lot of uh, 
We're getting a lot of uh, information coming from Capitol Hill that's particularly some of the new freshmen coming in. And frankly, some of the some of the more moderate Democrats are growing more and more uncomfortable with the fact that Nancy Pelosi is simply refusing to negotiate. You know, I was in Congress for 12 years. Right. I mean, I know how it works. I mean, at the end of the day, you, you bring your arguments. The other side brings their arguments. You look for a principled compromise. This president, from the first day of this government shutdown, has been looking for a way to build the wall, achieve border security, but also address priorities um, for Democrats and Republicans in the Congress. But as I'm sitting here today, literally more than three weeks into this government shutdown, Democrats are refusing to negotiate and and saying that unless you unless you reopen the government unilaterally, they won't even sit down and find find a way forward to achieve border security and reopen the government. And the American people deserve better. I mean, last week, one anecdote, we were in the Situation Room. The president looks at at Speaker Pelosi and he said, OK, here's the deal. If I gave you everything you wanted, I funded most of what remains of the government and I gave you 30 days to negotiate on on Homeland Security's budget, would you give me border security and a wall? She said no. The president said goodbye. Mm-hmm. So this is we, we, we know we know how this story ends. Uh, that's why the president is not budging. He's not moving. I'm happy to report to you, Mark. Republicans in the House and Senate have been rock solid standing with this president. It is time for Democrats to come to the table, tell us what they need. We'll tell them we need a wall and other priorities, and we'll resolve this issue, not just to reopen the government, but so much more importantly, to achieve real border security for the American people. You know, Mr. Vice President, uh, Nancy Pelosi's first election was in 1987. Chuck Schumer's first election was in 1981. So between them, they've been in Washington in power positions for over half a century. They've done absolutely nothing to secure the border. Absolutely nothing. So this president comes in and says, look, not only did I make a promise, I'm the president. I've got to make these national security decisions. I'm the executive. I'm the chief executive. Now, last time I checked, you were in the House for 12 years. Article 1 empowers the House of Representatives to appropriate funds, correct? 100% right. Well, then how do they get away with saying uh, the president has shut the government, the president has shut the government, when they appropriate funds? Right. It's amazing to me. And the media take up their position. But there's a recent Quinnipiac poll that seems to be very interesting, isn't there? Well, there is. I mean, uh, you know, and we don't like citing polls around here. The president just (laughs) likes to focus on what do we tell the American people we're going to do? Let's go fight to get it done. But a majority of Americans now recognize there's a crisis on the southern border. And here's the newsflash. They're right. I mean, and you know, I, we went on television. The president went uh, in a nationally televised address in the Oval Office last week. 2,000 illegal migrants attempt to come into our southern border every single day. For the first time ever, the vast majority... Uh, are families and unaccompanied minors that have been exploited by human traffickers and cartels and enticed to make the long and dangerous journey. There's a deluge uh, of of drugs that comes in uh, north. 2018, uh, Customs and Border Patrol uh, seized over 
uh, 800,000 pounds of drugs, uh, 90% of the heroin that claims 300 lives every week across this country comes through our southern border. Uh, 17,000 people with criminal convictions were apprehended attempting to illegally come into our country through the southern border last year. The con- we see again today another migrant caravan headed north from Central America. I mean, the American people get it. They want action. This president and I and our entire administration are determined, with, with the strong support of Republicans in the House and Senate, to deliver on border security for the American people. But um, as I sit here today, Democrats refuse to negotiate. They refuse to even discuss a way forward. And uh, the American people deserve better. And that's why, you know, I remember what Alexander Hamilton said in his time uh, to a foreign diplomat who was visiting the Congress, and he thought it was kind of loud and raucous on the House floor. And apparently Alexander Hamilton said famously, here, sir, the people govern. Mm -hmm. And your listeners, millions of listeners all across the country ought to know, this is the moment. Now's the time. We have a president who's willing to stand strong to achieve real border security, to build a wall. We just need the American people to let their voice be heard. Tell the Congress we want action. Tell the Democrats in Congress we want them to come to the table. We will figure this thing out. We'll not only reopen the government, uh, but we will secure our border and and, and once and for all uh, take steps that, frankly, um, for more than a generation as you said, one president, one administration after another has promised to do. This president is going to address the crisis of illegal immigration. But it all starts with border security. Last question, because I know you need to go. Is this a battle between Washington elitists and sanctuary city politicians? You know, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer with San Francisco, the New York area, versus the broader population of America. And one other thing. Have you all given thought to maybe funding the TSA and the Coast Guard who are actually working? They're not furloughed. They're actually working. They're federal law enforcement funding those federal employees who are currently at work. Well, look, uh, look, I slipped two questions there under one question. Well, you did. And let me be clear. One of the things this president has done different than President Obama. You remember under the shutdowns for President Obama, we were they were putting sawhorses up around the Washington Monument, right. for crying out loud. I mean, yes. what, what President Trump has directed our team to do is to mitigate the impact of this partial government shutdown on everyday Americans to the greatest extent possible. We're talking to members of Congress about making sure our Coast Guard is taken care of. We, we found a way to keep the national parks open for the American people, tax refunds, are going out. Food stamps are going out. We're not we're not playing games here. But but again, the president's made it very clear he's not interested in reopening the government uh, on when when the Democrats re- refuse to negotiate or refuse to accept that we need a physical barrier on our southern border. And but but our door is open. We're we're sitting here. We're ready. President had members of Congress over today. We met over lunch. We're, we continue to stand ready. Wait a minute. To wait, bring wait, wait, our wait. Members of Congress, we'll bring their priorities, and we'll do it. Members of Congress came over. Democrats. You know what? It, Republicans and Democrats were invited, but again, to my whole point, all the Democrats refused to come over. All right. 
and have lunch with the president of the United States. That's what that's what your millions of listeners deserve to know. We have a crisis on our southern border and Democrats in the House and Senate refuse to even negotiate to bring an end to that crisis let alone an end to this partial government shutdown. Let, and, let me and just, I, I think most Americans expect the Congress to sit down at the table, find a way forward. We're, we're ready to find that way forward. The president's not going to compromise on building a wall right. uh, or his commitment to border security. But if Democrats have, have other priorities, other things they want to see addressed, we'll listen, but it's got to achieve border security for the American people. I think part of the problem here is, unfortunately, the way the hierarchy in the House in particular is, you have sanctuary city politicians, Pelosi and others, who are leading the Democrat Party, uh, who are representing sanctuary city, uh, a sanctuary city mentality versus all the rest of the country that says, yeah, we're a country, secure the border, keep the criminals out, figure out who's trying to get in here, keep the drugs out of here. That's common sense. Am I right or wrong? Uh, it's one of President Trump's favorite words. We're just talking about common sense here. And I, as I travel across this country, it's what I hear the American people tell us to do. Back in Indiana, you know, we have a saying out in farm country that is good fences make good neighbors, right? <laughs> you right. Know, a strong border uh, will improve the, the, uh, the lives, the security of the American people, but it will also... Uh, it will also create if we we have a we have that steel barrier on the southern border we reform our asylum laws we redouble our commitment to border security the human traffickers and the cartels that take cash to exploit these vulnerable families in central america and entice them to make the long and dangerous journey they won't have the ability to make that argument the way they can make it today it's it it is the most humanitarian thing we can do is secure our border for the american people for all concerned and your listeners, your listeners ought to let their voice be heard, Mark, uh, that it, it's time for the Democrats to come to the table and join us in, in achieving real border security for the American people. Well, you've got millions and millions of people here who support you, who want you all to stand strong, stay strong. And we are activists. And Mr. Vice President, I want to thank you for your time. It's an honor to be with you, Mark. You know, I'm a fan and uh, we just appreciate your voice and your strong stand, and we will continue to stand firm for border security for the American people, and we appreciate we appreciate your support. All right. God bless, sir. Yeah. God bless you. Bye-bye. Mark Lovin. One hundred and seventy five years. That's how long Hillsdale College has been around. As we start a new year, Hillsdale's entering its hundred and seventy fifth year, but in all of that time it still holds the same principles since eighteen forty four. The college was founded to teach students to seek truth, to recognize what is beautiful, and to hold up what is good. Most colleges have lost their way and are now in the grip of political correctness. They reject the idea of objective truth and peddle moral and cultural relativism, not Hillsdale College. Hillsdale continues to provide sound learning essential to preserving civil and religious liberty. Hillsdale is my favorite college because it has stayed true to that mission and extends it nationwide on behalf of liberty. From its free online courses to its free speech digest and primus, from training leaders at their Kirby Center in Washington, D.C., to helping establish classical K-12 charter schools nationwide, Hillsdale is educating Americans to restore our freedom. 
pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. This is Hillsdale College. Please visit hillsdale.edu to learn more. That's hillsdale.edu. thank the vice president again. He's a good man. He's a man of faith. He's an earnest man. He's a good family man. And uh, it's very comforting to know that that he's vice president of the United States. He didn't really have big shoes to fill, you know, with Joe Biden. I think Joe Biden wore size four and a half. Uh, But Joe Biden wants to be president now. And uh, God forbid. Um. How much time do I have left, Mr. Producer? All right, let's go back to September 10, 2018. Then I'm going to move on. But, I I mean, somebody has to mark their territory and take a stand repeatedly on this issue of the growing hatred within the Democrat Party. And the Steve King thing just triggered my thinking again on this. Again, you shouldn't say stupid things. And if you mean them... You need to be held to account. If you don't mean them, you're still going to be held to account. But what about these anti-Semites within the Democrat Party? Cut 15, go. The growing anti-Semitism within the upper ranks of the Democrat Party is indisputable. And the further left that that party moves, the more anti-Semitic it's becoming. There's absolutely no question about it. And it's very fascinating to me that when you watch cable news, particularly CNN and MSNBC, they don't have any guests on that raise these issues, do they? They'll have a conga line of guests, typical race baiters. Who will and let me stop t- there, live. That was from September. Mr. Producer, do we have enough time to do the clip of MSNBC and their implication about Lindsey Graham? Hit that immediately. Go. Before Donald Trump got elected, Lindsey Graham called Donald Trump a racist, xenophobic bigot. That is Lindsey Graham's words. I doubt Lindsey Graham could tell you Donald Trump's had a change of heart in the last 24 months. I bet what the change of heart has been with Lindsey Graham, not the president. Or it could be that Donald Trump or somebody knows something pretty extreme about Lindsey Graham. Uh, We're going to leave it there. Why did you raise that? What are you trying to imply? This is Stephanie Rule, R-U-H-L-E. Most of you haven't heard of her, but she's a regular staple on MSNBC. She's an anchor. She's a journalist. She hosts that program. Hat tip, Washington Free Beacon. So she's a homophobe. She is suggesting that Lindsey Graham is gay. Now, what will MSNBC do about that? They have a high tolerance for bigotry over there. Ask Joy Reid, Al Sharpton, Stephanie Rule. Nothing. Not a damn thing. These are supposed to be, well, you know what they are. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 
everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a huge institutional problem in this country, several, but one in particular. It actually was written about in my first book, Men in Black, how the Supreme Court is destroying America. And I would restate that byline now, how the federal judiciary is destroying America. Everything's up for grabs now. Everything's up for grabs when it's in front of a single federal district judge. There are around 900, give or take, federal district judges in this country. Do you know how they're selected? They're not selected like circuit court judges. They're not selected like Supreme Court justices. It's much more political. I can tell you, as somebody who was involved in the process and observed the process during the Reagan administration, one of the positions I held in the Reagan administration was Associate Director of Presidential Personnel, and one of the areas I was responsible for was judicial selection. Now you know why, at least in part, Reagan appointed so many solid people throughout the federal judiciary. Now, I didn't have control over it, and I was involved in it for a few years. But the president of the United States, Reagan, much like our current president, Donald Trump, was hell-bent on putting people on the federal bench who would honor the Constitution. You want to be a politician? Run for office. You want to be a left-wing professor? Get tenure at some college or university. You want to be an activist? Then join some organization and take to the streets. But if you want to be a federal judge, that is a solemn commitment to our Constitution and our institutional order, separation of powers and so forth. President Reagan, like President Trump, was committed to this. But just so you know how district court judges are selected, there's a compromise that takes place. Let me explain what I mean. And this has been the tradition over many, many, many decades. There's bargaining that takes place over district court judges because there's many of them. So let's say there's three vacancies in the state of California, at least When I observe this, the Democrat senators would say, you know, I'm going to put a hold on the Reagan nominees. We might even filibuster them unless we can reach a compromise. And typically the compromise was, okay, we get two. You give us one as long as the one isn't so crazy ass that we can't, you know, accept it. That's why it's important when you read or you hear that's a Reagan-appointed judge, and yet look at that Reagan-appointed judge, or for that matter, a Bush-appointed judge, or another Bush-appointed judge, or even a Trump-appointed judge. You go, wow, even a Trump-appointed judge did X, Y, Z. Fine. Who is that judge, and who recommended that judge? Maybe that was one of the compromise judges. When it comes to the appellate courts, at least when I was at the White House, no such compromise. I don't know if either of the Bushes, hopefully not, caved on that. I don't think President Trump has in any respect. So that kind of horse trading doesn't go on at the circuit court level, and it certainly doesn't go on at the Supreme Court level. 
So you have these federal district judges, several of them in the major metropolitan areas, obviously not so many in rural areas. And you've got these organizations that are national organizations with individuals they represent or choose to represent in districts, in district court jurisdictions, who are known to be more liberal, more activist than in other parts of the country. And the judges, those who are social activist litigators, look at the list of judges, and even though they're typically randomly picked, they know. They know that in San Francisco, more of the district court judges in that city, in that metropolitan area, are of the Obama ilk than they are of the Trump ilk, or even the Bush ilk. Or they might be one of the compromises. With Barbara Boxer in the past, or Feinstein in the past. So they form shop. They form shop in San Francisco. They form shop in Seattle. They form shop in Baltimore, Maryland. You understand. That's what they do. Now you might say, well, don't conservatives do that? The problem is, conservatives don't normally go to court to expand government. They just don't. We just don't. Court is a last resort. We believe in the elective bodies. So when these judges who have lifetime appointments, the vast majority of them you've never heard of, some of them come out of these, these sort of blue chip law firms. Some of them come out of activism, typically on the left. Some of them are well-known professors, typically on the left, although some who are originalists. They get lifetime appointments. And when these district court judges get a case that can infect the entirety of the nation, some 900 of these judges, you can see that the the percentages against a conservative-slash-Republican president is much worse than against a Democrat-slash-liberal president because of this form shopping by the left. And I bring this up because we've had a series of cases now, and we've talked about this at length in the past, where we have a district court judge in a city, in a courthouse where there's several district court judges, Issuing an injunction nationwide. And the great associate justice Clarence Thomas has complained about this. He's complained about it because it's, it's not wholly unique, but the spread of it is wholly unique. You know, every now and then a judge would do that and it was frowned upon. Now they do it willy nilly because Trump is the president. Because Trump is the president. We don't have a threat in this country from an outsized Trump presidency muscling its way through separation of powers. There's no evidence of that whatsoever. He's not trying to expand the power of the presidency. He's trying to legitimately use the powers. He's not legislating from the Oval Office, despite the phony originalists who say he would be if he triggers the um, National Emergencies Act. He's trying to follow the rules. 
But these judges are a disaster. A disaster. This is from our buddies at Right Scoop. And now the injunction on Trump's Obamacare rule is nationwide. You already know that the other day a judge in California blocked a Trump rule that allowed employers with religious or moral objections to opt out of Obamacare's contraception coverage. That affected 13 states. So a judge countermanded the president of the United States, the head of the executive branch, who's overseeing Obamacare and the infinite regulations involved. And one of the things the president did is he said, you know, this regulation that was put in place by the Obama administration, I'm yanking it. And a federal judge, a district court judge in Pennsylvania said, oh, no, you're not. I don't agree with you. A Pennsylvania district court judge issued a nationwide injunction Monday afternoon, just as the new policy was slated to take effect. The ruling came less than 24 hours after a California district court issued a more limited stay in 13 Democratic states and the District of Columbia while challenges are being argued. The rulings in rapid succession, both by judges appointed by Barack Obama, form shopping. And so when the chief justice said, we don't have Obama judges, he was lying through his teeth. Are the latest legal twists in a dispute over an expansion of health benefits for women under the Affordable Care Act that has wound through the courts for years? It's not an expansion of health benefits, it's contraceptives. Contraceptives that teenagers go into drugstores and buy for pennies almost. The dispute centers on the issue of religious liberty, specifically the extent to which the government should carve out exceptions for churches, religious groups, and even non-religious employers that object to birth control coverage based on their beliefs. Now, I know there's a part of the Constitution in the First Amendment that protects religious liberty. I know nothing in the Constitution that protects, well, not even protects, that compels the taxpayer through the federal government to pay for contraceptives. Nothing. I mean, let me ask you a question. Isn't it more necessary for the sustenance of a human being to have food than contraceptives? Contraceptives have nothing to do with sustenance, with survival. So, wouldn't they argue then that you have an absolute right to a meal? If you have an absolute right to contraceptives? Anyway, let's go on. The Obama administration had narrow exceptions and a system of accommodations, a workaround to religious objections, which a third-party insurer would cover birth control even if the employer did not. Now, keep in mind, it wasn't really that long ago, prior to the Obama administration, where we had rules in place by Congress that said not a penny will be spent by the federal government to subsidize abortions. It's called the Henry Hyde Amendment, the Hyde Amendment. You familiar with this? Obama turned it on his head. Now we have judges saying, no, 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 you will pay for contraceptives. Even if you're a church that doesn't believe in it, a religious group that doesn't believe in it, an employer who doesn't believe in it, you shall pay for it. President Trump widened the circumstances under which employers could claim exemptions in an effort to accommodate social conservatives. No. In an effort to comply with the First Amendment. The First Amendment. 
And as they point out at Right Scoop, Obama should have never forced employers or anyone else to pay for contraception. Especially those that could cause abortions. We're funding Planned Parenthood. That's their main activity. Abortions. But now they're saying that even if you have a religious objection to killing a baby in the womb, you shall pay for it. This is called progress, you see. I'll be right back. Mark in. briefly where I left off on judges and so forth see the problem is this at its bottom line liberty is used freedom is used by tyrants to destroy it we haven't quite figured out how to prevent that without destroying it ourselves When a judge is an originalist slash conservative, but a constitutionalist is what we're talking about, and another judge is an activist, the the playing field has always changed. That's why the left, during these judicial confirmation hearings, always say, you're going to follow judicial precedent, right? You're going to follow judicial precedent, right? Because they do not want a judge to follow the original meaning and intention of the language and the activity behind the Constitution. And of course, we also know that if it's precedent they don't like, you know, like Citizens United or something like that, they want their activist court to just get rid of it and replace it with something else. So really what they mean is judicial precedent that advances the status progressive agenda. Any other precedent is meaningless. The Constitution itself is meaningless. We'll wrap our opinions and references to the Constitution and we'll put our footnotes and so forth. But in the end, we're politicians. It is very, very difficult to fix that. How do you fix it? How do you fix that? Well, you cannot fix it under the current governing design, because the current governing design, in many respects, is unmoored from our constitutional system. The massive bureaucracy, the power of the judiciary, the violations of separation of powers, these are all intentional breaches of the constitutional order. And if you read a Rediscovering Americanism and the tyranny of progressivism, you understand how we got to this point. This entire ideology of progressivism is an anthema to constitutionalism, which is why their intellectual forefathers trashed the Constitution. And they did more than that. They crashed the Declaration. We've talked about this. I've written about it for years. The language living and breathing actually comes from Woodrow Wilson who wrote extensively about progressivism, trashed the Declaration, trashed the Constitution, and I've read parts of it to you. They said, you know, the Declaration is great for that generation. 
The Constitution is great for the generation that adopted it, but just like them, we have the power to change it, change either, to reject them, and to try something else. That is the sum and substance of progressivism. The rejection of limited Republican government. Little r, Republican government. And these judges know it. Wilson also explained that the way you change society fundamentally is through the courts. Now, why is that? Because the progressive will talk about the people. Just think about Bernie Sanders when I talk. The will of the people, the needs of the people, the general welfare of the people. We're going to do this, 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 that. Who's going to do this, 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 and this? Not the people. We don't have plebiscites in this country. We don't have referenda in this country on a national level. Who's going to do this, 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 and this? Who's going to make sure drug prices are what they should be? Who's going to make sure medical care goes to everybody? Who's going to make sure this? Who's going to make sure that? They are. They are. So they wrap their tyranny in effectively mob rule. They pretend to be the populace. They pretend to represent the people. That's all show. That's all camouflage. Because once they're in office, they use unelected judges, unelected bureaucrats to advance their agenda. I've said this a thousand times too. When they lose elections, they go to the unelected parts of the government to advance their cause and to prevent those who've won the election from advancing their promises and their policies. When they win elections, they use the elected part of the government and the unelected part of the government to advance their cause. So they never lose. Becomes more and more difficult for constitutionalists really to operate in such an environment. I'll be right back. With a daily fake news dump pouring through your TV, mobile phones and computers, you may have missed some real news like the recent study in the journal Cell Metabolism. Scientists suspected a correlation between growing rates of obesity and processed foods, but what this study discovered was that these foods also appear to lead people to overeat. Here's the bottom line. You need fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet, which is why I recommend that you start taking Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, that's BrickHouseLevin.com, and you'll get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. You know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. Now, over the coming weeks, you're going to hear me defend liberty, defend capitalism, defend you, defend you. And one of the top issues on my mind and on your mind has to do with pharmaceutical prices. 
Numerous economists and organizations like Americans for Tax Reform have studied this. I have studied this. Here are some facts you need to know before the propaganda begins. Americans have access to more pharmaceuticals than any other country, including access to 95% of all cancer treatments. American drug companies produce more than half of the world's wonder drugs because they invest about $90 billion every year on research. And sometimes they come up empty. It's a very expensive proposition. Now, these amazing drugs allow people with painful, chronic conditions to lead more normal lives, to improve their quality of life, and to extend their life. We're very lucky to have an industry like this. We have an industry like this because we have a government that is supposed to know its boundaries. But there are forces in this country on the hard left and populists, they like to call themselves, who want to get their hands on this like they do everything else, and they want to destroy it. Despite all this success, Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar wants to adopt a Bernie Sanders-style plan for drug pricing that mimics how countries with socialized medicine set pricing and limit patient access to cutting-edge medicines. Have any of you ever gone overseas for your medicines? Their plan will lead to scarcity, fewer choices, the worst of all, fewer future life-saving breakthroughs. So instead of fighting to lower prices the way socialists do, the way socialist nations do, maybe these countries should pay their fair share. Secretary Azar wants to tell pharmaceutical companies what they should charge. Maybe the administration should be telling these other governments that their companies shouldn't be stealing our medicines. Bernie Sanders may like this plan, but more than 150 economists and 60 free market organizations oppose it because government price controls don't work, whether it's food, whether it's gasoline, whether it's medicine. They don't work. Go to truehealthcarefacts.com. That's truehealthcarefacts.com and get the facts. I know defending liberty, defending free market commerce and capitalism is not in vogue. I know socialism is in vogue, including with populists of every stripe. Count me out. Count me out. In our family, we've had different forms of cancer, diabetes, heart disease, Rheumatoid arthritis. Um, what else? You name it. You name it. And I don't want the government controlling pharmaceuticals, and I don't want the government controlling future breakthroughs, God forbid. Human beings never seem to, to learn. Human beings seem to want something for nothing, and they think things just show up. When you go in a grocery store or pharmacy, things just show up. Things don't just show up. And when the whole chain of exploration, of invention, of creativity, of production, of delivery, transport, it's complex when it's interrupted by politicians and government bureaucrats who think they know when they know nothing. 
That's when you start to destroy the advances that a free society makes. So I want you to go to truehealthcarefacts.com, truehealthcarefacts.com. I don't care if I'm the last host in America or the last person in America will stand by individual liberty, capitalism, private property rights. I don't care if I'm the last one because I know it's right. It's absolutely right. Now, Britt Hume, during the break, did a beautiful job discussing uh, the Steve King situation. He said his comments were just too close to the line, whatever he meant. He said what he said might be true in terms of his defense, just too close. But, but now we have every statement the man has ever made, he's being called a racist, a collection of racist comments, racist, this, racist. So here we go. Now we forget about Steve King, and now things that people say that are not racist are racist. So I want to return to Rashida Tlaib, a new Democrat from Michigan, a Palestinian Muslim. And I want to know if they're going to take action against her. As the Washington Times reports, pro-Hezbollah activist posts photos with Rashida Tlaib at swearing-in ceremony. Now this woman has already said many outrageous things. Representative Tashida Tlaib, Michigan Democrat, was called out Monday after Palestinian activist Abbas Hamadeh, a staunch defender of the terrorist group Hezbollah, which of course is the militia wing, the terrorist wing of Iran, posted photos of the two of them posing at her swearing-in ceremony in Detroit. Now, she knew who he was. Mr. Hamadeh tweeted a photo of himself Saturday with Ms. Tlaib, Congresswoman, along with the caption, I was honored to be a Congresswoman, Rashida Tlaib swearing-in ceremony in Detroit, and private dinner afterward with the entire family, friends, and activists across the country. Now, why isn't this peaking? the concern of members of Congress. If we're going to address these things, then damn it, let's address them all. Critics were quick to point out that Mr. Kamita, a co-founder of the pro-Palestinian group Al-Alda, which means right of return, which means, you know, elimination of the Jews in their homeland, has a history of praising Hezbollah leaders, such as Sayyad Hassan Nasrallah, and declaring that Israel has no right to exist. In December 2015, Mr. Hamadeh called convicted terrorist Samir Kantar a legendary Hezbollah martyr days after he was killed in an explosion in Damascus. Kantar was convicted of murder and terrorism for his role in a 1979 attempted kidnapping that resulted in the deaths of four Israelis but was released in a 2008 Israeli Hezbollah prisoner exchange. This is the congresswoman. And her buddy. This is her buddy. Max Samarov, executive director for research and campus strategy for the pro-Israel group Stand With Us, said that Mr. Hamadeh has a long record of incendiary rhetoric. Just one example. He called Hezbollah leader Hassan Nasrallah the most honorable man on earth. Referring to a February 26th social media post. Hassan Nasrallah has made genocidal threats against Jews. He's actively aided the dictator 
Bashar al-Assad and the mass murder of the Syrian people. You believe this? So there's a litany of disturbing comments along these lines, Mr. Samarov said. No members of Congress, Republican or Democrat, should be associating with people who are racist or who support violence against innocent people. Can we at least have somebody in the Democrat leadership, somebody in the Republican leadership speak out about this and call for action? What about Bobby Rush? Maybe he'll do something. Liz Cheney, where are you? He said, Al Alda has expressed a lot of really extremist views. I see them as a hate group. Now, Mr. Hamadeh responded to a social media criticism Monday by doubling down on his past posts at Israel, tweeting, the illegal terrorist entity of Israel doesn't have a right to exist on top of stolen Palestinian land. Criminal Zionists are going apes T, apes S, over one picture. Imagine when we take selfies in a liberated Jerusalem, he tweeted. I was honored to be a congresswoman, Rashida Tlaib, swearing in in Detroit. And a private dinner afterward with the entire family, friends, activists across the country. Ms. Tlaib, the first Muslim woman elected to Congress, along with Democratic Representative Omar Ilhan, and by the way, she's no better, held her district swearing-in ceremony Saturday at a high school in River Rouge, um, Michigan, where she drew a handful of protesters. The newly elected member of Congress has drawn headlines during her first few weeks in office by calling President Trump an MFR and supporting the anti-Israel boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement. Now, it seems to me, ladies and gentlemen, any member of Congress who is associated with people who are associated with and or praising terrorists should at least draw the ire of her colleagues or their colleagues, don't you think? You're going to pass resolutions, then damn it, pass resolutions. She's not going to be denied any committee assignment. She's not having to defend herself. Why is that? Why is it that the Democrat Party elected Keith Ellison deputy chairman? Why is it that the Democrat Party embraces Al Sharpton? Why is it that top officials in the Democrat Party want to be seen with Farrakhan? Why is that? I'll be right back. in. You know, uh, many years ago, I was honored to have Hillsdale College as a sponsor. Matter of fact, the first radio program Hillsdale ever uh, sponsored with was this program, and is this program. We have a wonderful relationship with the university, and the president of Hillsdale, Larry Arn, is a great friend of mine of many decades, a brilliant man. And um, Hillsdale's 175 years old. That's how long Hillsdale College has been around. 
And all that time, it still holds the same principles it held since 1844. The college was founded to teach students to seek truth, to recognize what is beautiful, and hold up what is good. And you know, most colleges have lost their way and are now in the grip of political correctness. They reject the idea of objective truth and peddle moral and cultural relativism. They're propaganda mills. They're indoctrination mills. And that's part of the problem, which is why Hillsdale is so remarkable and special. And as each year goes by, it's even more so. Hillsdale continues to provide sound learning essential to preserving civil and religious liberty. A brilliant faculty. Brilliant students. Very tough to get into Hillsdale College. And Hillsdale is my favorite college because it has stayed true to their mission and extends it nationwide on behalf of liberty. It teaches beyond its campus. It reaches out to you. From its free online courses to its free speech digest and primus, from training leaders at their Kirby Center in D.C. to helping establish classical K-12 charter schools nationwide, Hillsdale is educating Americans to restore our freedom. Pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844, this is Hillsdale College. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. You realize Hillsdale College has been around as about as long as the New York Times. And tell me, which has been better for America? Which has been more honest with America? Which has been more transparent for America? Which upholds our freedom of speech and freedom of the press more? Hillsdale College or the propaganda sheet called the New York Slimes? The answer is Hillsdale College. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the partial government shutdown... Why is the partial government shut down? Why do they include snow days and the weekends and holidays, Christmas and New Year's? Because the media keeps hyping this. Now, I have no doubt for the people who are not at work, this is a pain in the neck. We'll join the rest of society. You know, I can't be sure if I'll be here one day to the next. There's a lot of people who are listening to my program right now who don't take a penny from the federal government who are struggling. They're struggling. They're working 20 hours a day. They're driving trucks. They're driving cabs. They're waiters at restaurants. They're hairdressers. You name it. Mechanics, electricians, plumbers. When you have a recession, what do you think happens in the private sector? What do you think happens to all these American citizens who don't work for the government, who don't have Congress passing bills ensuring that they will receive money? Things need to be put in perspective. I know that a certain small percentage of the people listening to me hate me for saying these things. But this is reality. The fact that the politicians protect the bureaucracy and the bureaucracy protects the politicians. And of course, not all of you. There's many patriots in the federal government because I know many of them. And the fact that the media gives the most radical, loud elements... A voice, day in and day out, because they are the radical, loud elements of the left. Distorts reality. Distorts reality. When California passes laws that crush the private sector, 
You don't see any concern whatsoever. You don't see any national news stories at the biggest, most populous state in America. The most populous state in America. Alaska would be the biggest, but you get the point. Is killing private sector jobs and all these people are going to lose their jobs or they have to move to another state? or anything? You never see stories like this. You know, when you outlaw straws, I know this sounds funny, you're destroying a whole bunch of businesses. From raw material producers to producing the finished product to shipping the finished product to shoving the finished product. Now they're talking about banning plastic bags in New York. Abortions, they want to expand. Plastic bags, they want to get rid of. And when you have a Mayor DiCamio who talks about literally confiscating private property, apartment buildings from landlords, if he and his cabal of left-wing kooks don't think the tenants are being treated fairly, that has consequences. For people in the private sector. It destroys lives. It destroys jobs. It destroys investment. When you have rules that are so onerous, compelling, somebody who opens a small business, even a family business, a pizzeria, let's say, to pay for all the health care, to give two weeks off, those businesses can't survive. And when they close, you're affecting an entire family and all the employees and all the people. Who serviced that restaurant? Do you ever see a story about that? Never. Do you ever see a story when the iron fist of government, whether it's some local kook like de Blasio, some statewide kook, some national kook, do you ever see a story how the federal government destroys jobs, how the federal government destroys businesses, how the federal government destroys lives and puts people out of work? Well, you know it does. So do states and localities. Where are all those stories? Where are all those hardships? Nobody gives a damn. That's the problem. I'll be right back. If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add. But this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve. And subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello everybody, Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. 
wasn't going to discuss this, but it's been bouncing around NATO. North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It's kept the peace in Europe since World War II. Now, we salute our World War II veterans, many of whom fought in Europe. We took massive casualties in Europe. Massive casualties. And we don't ever want that to happen again. Two wars, as a matter of fact, World War I and World War II. We're not a conquering country. We're not an imperial country. We're not a colonialist country, despite what the left tells our college students day in and day out, brainwashes them. We're a great country, peaceful country. Thousand years from now, that's how the historians will see us and they'll wonder why we destroyed our country from within, given what a magnificent experiment in humanity it is. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization, I have no problem with the president pounding on these various countries to pay their fair share, and they should. And they're paying 30 to $35 billion more they did last year than the year before. That's good. But the Russians are on the rise. The Chinese, obviously not in Europe, but close enough. Closer than here. They're on the rise. And who the hell else knows what's going on over there? But when you consider the amount of men we lost and the battles that were fought, why in the hell would we get up and leave? Why in the hell would we get up and leave? I don't understand. Do we not need forward bases for our bombers? Do we not need forward bases? We put our heavy equipment, tanks, armament of other sorts, so we can move them from here to there? Think we can move everything out of Norfolk and San Diego? Just boom, boom, boom. It doesn't work that way. We don't have the capacity if we're attacked somewhere or threatened somewhere, we don't have the capacity to move all this equipment, all this personnel from the continental United States or even Alaska or Hawaii and have everything pre-positioned in the continental United States or Alaska and Hawaii. We have resources, human and material resources, positioned in strategic parts of the world. Because we know there are dangers. Communism is on the rise in China. Fascism is on the rise in Russia. And everything in between and beyond. We need to be able to act. When the President of the United States struck Syria twice over its use of poisonous gas, those bombers didn't come out of the continental United States. They have to be forward positioned, pre-positioned. Particularly in a nuclear age. You need to have the capacity to present a, a threat to aggressive communists and fascists. If we didn't learn this after World War II, then what the hell did we learn? What did we learn? 
The cost of NATO, frankly, ladies and gentlemen, is a drop in the bucket. Again, that's not to say the president is wrong about demanding that these countries pay their fair share and have the appropriate number of troops and so forth. But we fought for these territories. We fought for these areas. We didn't take them the way the Russians took them and created, I mean, the Soviets took them. We didn't do that, and we never would do that. But these are our allies now. These are our friends now. And when you create a vacuum as huge as that vacuum would be, of course you're going to encourage enemies and adversaries to fill the vacuum. Since when did conservatives become isolationists of the George McGovern type? Of the Henry Wallace type, a socialist. Well, Mark, there was Robert Taft, and he was wrong, wasn't he? That's not to say it's black and white. That because you support NATO, then all of a sudden you support American intervention in every hellhole in the world. I don't. I absolutely don't. Foreign policy, like every other policy, must be based on prudence. Not an ideology, prudence. Is it prudent to abandon NATO? No, it's, it's absurd. So I don't mind having the debate. But I do think we have to fight any policy that suggests otherwise, in my opinion. NATO is more important than half of what the damn federal government does which spends most of its time redistributing wealth. That's why you hear these cries about, hey, so-and-so's not going to be paid. Well, that's not the purpose of the federal government to pay people. Is that what the Constitution says? No. No. Now, I want to talk about a, a few other subjects with you as well. Nancy Pelosi. I said that she should release the last 10 years of her tax returns, he and her husband, she and her husband. What's good for the goose is good for the goose. I want to know about the Pelosi's financial arrangements, given that she has been in Washington, D.C. far longer than Donald Trump has ever been in Washington, D.C. She was elected in 1987. She's Speaker of the House twice. She's been Majority Leader. She pushes legislation. She's in charge of appropriations bills. Okay, I want to know about her tax returns over the last 10 years. She and that big dummy husband of hers. Oh, he's just an investor. Really? Looks a little Russian to me. I want to know about Chuck Schumer's investments. I want to know. The guy's been in government since he was 21 years old. He got out of law school early, ran for the New York Assembly and won. Then I believe the congressman died. He immediately jumped in there like the Grim Reaper. uh, uh, What the hell is it? Grim Reaper. My mouth broke. And he still is, by the way. And there he is with his not-so-cool cornrows growing out of his forehead. And he's always davening when he's talking. Anyway, so... uh, I want to know about him while we're at it. I want to know about all these members of Congress. Where'd they get their money from? Ten years of tax returns for all members of Congress. All in favor say aye. The Levin audience says aye. 
All opposed, no. We ignore you. The eyes have it. I'm doing it just like the House and the Senate. Ten years of tax returns. We want. It's a good idea. They want them. We want them. And not only that, since they want them on Don Jr. and Eric and Ivanka and Kushner, we want ten years of tax returns on their children, too. Nancy and Paul Pelosi have five children. We want 10 years of tax returns on those five children. Why not? Schumer has children too, doesn't he? The thought of the procreation process is hard to bear. Respecting him. I'm just being honest. You know I'm, it's honest. And these guys won't come on my show. Can you imagine? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Let's go to Bob in New York, the great WABC. Go. Yeah, hey, Mark. Hello. You know, when, when, you, when you start talking about the, um, the uh, government workers that are not getting a paycheck for a while, in uh, February of 2009, I lost my job a month to the day after Obama took office. Were you I in government? No, I was not. I'm in, pri- I'm in the private sector. I, I was unemployed for three years. And I did not have ABC running up to my door asking me how I was how I was making out during the, uh, the downturn because I lost my, my job. You I know, what's, what, what's interesting, I was unemployed once for 13 months. This is decades ago. I went through everything. I went through my IRA. I had to pay the penalty somehow the following year. I borrowed money from family members. I took all the equity out of my house. I mean, I, we were going broke. And then I clawed my way back. Nobody guaranteed me a damn thing. And so this is the reality in the private sector, is your point. Yeah, Mark, and that where you were is, is where I am now. I'm clawing my way back. There were no guarantees. And no, one, no, no uh, news outlets came to my door to, figure, you know, to feel sorry for me, to tell, ask me how I was doing when I lost my job. But uh, somehow federal employees lose their job or don't get a paycheck for a week, and we're supposed to all feel so bad. I mean, I think it's a dose yes, of I'm not celebrating it, but on the other hand, we shouldn't have two classes citizens, one class immune from the economy or, or political decisions, and another class which has no protection whatsoever because we live in the private sector, and it's that second class that funds the first class. That's a problem, isn't it? It is. And to be quite honest with you, why do we have non-essential employees working for at the taxpayer, at the taxpayers? Well, expense? I know it's a funny line, but what they mean by that non-essential versus essential is non-essential employees are still needed, but there's a period of time where they can actually function without them, and they have to function without them, because if the quote-unquote government's going to be shut down, certain people are not going to be able to come in. So they have to make a distinction. Mark, I've, I've, I've done some work in D.C., and I've been in and out of government buildings, and believe me, a lot of the people in those buildings are not essential. No, I, I understand that, and I've been in some private buildings, and I see a lot of people roaming around, too. I got it. But apart from uh, the, um, those kinds of illustrations, I'm just saying how it works. All right, my friend, you made your point. It's time to roll along here. God bless us. Joe, Los Angeles, California, the great KRLA 870, The Answer, where we are live and national. 
Fantastic. Hey, uh, Mark, um, since the Democrats actually won the House by pretending to be moderate in all these Republican districts they won, it's time for Trump to reach out directly to those members who have pretended to be moderate, bypass the Democrat leadership of the House, and see if they will do it, if he can get enough of them to do a deal. He tried to do that today. He went past the leadership, he invited these moderates in, and the leadership pulled their chains. Not one of them showed up. If the RNC were really doing its job, the RNC would get into these districts and start right now uh, exposing these phony moderate Democrats who won in these Republican districts and uh, really put the heat on them politically. Absolutely. And at, at least right now we're exposing them, and they need to do that, too. Let's continue to, to carry the torch for that as well, because uh, I think it, it's a really strong point that we need to make sure we break the Democrats. And I'll tell you something else. People who live in these districts where the Democrats won in Republican districts who had Republican members of Congress, you have a ton of power. If you call their offices and say, hey, look, I'm in your district, you're a freshman, and you're going to be out. Because you're carrying Nancy Pelosi's water. And many of you said that you were not even going to vote for her for speaker. And you did. So now you're lying to us twice. You're not a moderate. You're back in the most radical position possible. We want the border secured. Don't hand me you want the government funded first when we know Nancy Pelosi won't do it. And so the people who live in these districts in Orange County, in Northern Virginia, and other places across the country, in Pennsylvania and so forth, you have a ton of power. If the uh, if the congressperson in your district now is a Democrat and prior to that was a Republican. And can I bring up one more thing I'm a little concerned about? Yep. Uh, William William Barr is I, I respected a lot of the answers he gave today, but he is just not the fighter that we need right now. He is obviously I just think he's used to being in an era when well, there he is. The president's not going to yank him. I'll tell you. So that's not going to happen. But I will say this to you. Isn't it amazing, all these hearings, the nominee has to trash the president? Now, they don't do it explicitly, but you're not going to cut off any funding from Mueller, are you? Not, and the president hasn't cut off one damn dime. Mueller spent whatever he wants to spend, as far as I know. No, I will not allow that. You know, we did that in Watergate. And the implication, of course, is, well, Trump might. Oh, you're not, uh, you're th- are you prepared to be like, General Mattis and walk away if you have a disagreement with the president. So throughout this phony process, they lay these questions out and the nominee pretty much has to agree with the left. It really is repulsive. And he said he's not part of the Hillary locker up crowd. And I'm saying, hey, man, these people that broke the law in the Obama administrator are out there right now. They're out. They're out there right now. Racketeering. All right. All right. Slow down. Slow down. So if Barr says on the other side of the coin. Yeah, I want to lock her up. That would make you happy. And what would happen? I'm just saying we need a lock. I I know you're shooting from the hip. But what I'm saying is, says, yeah, I want to lock her up. That doesn't serve anybody's purpose because even the Republicans won't vote for the guy. What you're hoping is there'll be somebody who will will pursue and especially take control of the damn senior level of the FBI. It is completely out of control. And we need to get to the bottom of this. He brought up this candidate because this candidate is a surefire nomination, perceived as moderate, perceived as stable. That was before he had such a sweeping win in the Senate. I think he could have brought up an attack dog like Chris Christie or... Um, or uh, Chris or- Christie is not an attack dog. 
He's a fraud, in my humble opinion. He talks a lot. I think he would have been very dangerous. He would have been a showboat. And I was I think it was very wise that the president didn't pick him. Thank you for your call. All right, Ray, Livermore, California, the great KSFO, home of the one of the biggest sanctuary cities in America, San Francisco. Go ahead. Oh, it's a mess. Happy New Year, Mark. Thanks for being there. You too, uh, You're like a lifeline to the, us conservatives here in California. Like one of the previous callers, when Obama took over, uh, my little small business, we've talked on the air before. I, I run my own business. I pay my own way. We took a 30% pay cut in the first year of Obama and a 5% pay cut the next two years after that. And nobody was uh, knocking at my door asking about uh, why the economy is so bad. Um, we were Did anyone, Ray, to- knock at your door and say, how's Obamacare going to affect you? Uh, no, um, they didn't. Well, what they did was they told me it was going to be great. It was going to cost less. But, Mark, my plan today costs $2,300 per month for three people, two adults and one child. So Obama that's lied. almost double. That's almost double what it was before Obama took over. And, and as for these government employees, you know, Nancy Pelosi said, don't call it unemployment. Call it fun employment, okay? Just have some fun. Remember that's what Wait a minute. Said. When did she say that? She said that when uh, the big unemployment uh, sweep after Obama came through, there was a large unemployment number, and it kind of stuck for a long time. And Nancy Pelosi called it fun employment. Spend more time with your family. Learn how to paint. You can learn art. You know what? There's people out here who are struggling, Mark, struggling. And and as the economic... And and the media, of course, do not take their cameras to the private sector. The government destroys lots of wealth, lots of jobs, and lots of businesses. Thanks, Ray. Got to go. We'll be right back. Mark Levin, a champion of freedom. You know, you're one of the greatest champions of freedom in this country, if not in the English-speaking world, Mark. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. You know, it's bad enough your IRS problems ruined 2018. You're really going to drag that nightmare into New York? Excuse me, New York. I mean, into the new year. And you might drag it into New York, too. Consider what's at stake when the IRS has you in their sights. It's very scary. Your paycheck, your bank account, your business, even your home. Now, you're smart. You know better than to deal with the IRS alone. You need expert help. If you need it now, who do you go to? They're all the same, right? No wrong. Optima Tax Relief is America's number one tax resolution firm. Optima knows that behind every tax problem are honest, hardworking Americans with families, paychecks, and bank accounts to protect. And they are the experts. Former IRS agents, tax attorneys, and they're there. Not to work for the government, but to work for you. When you engage Optima to fight for you and protect what's yours, you're getting a proven award-winning team. A team who can help stop the aggressive collection actions and help put your IRS problem behind you. That's how Optima has saved nearly a billion dollars for their clients. But it takes you to do one thing. Contact them. Call their toll-free number. They're there right now. Call for your free consultation. Your free consultation while you still have options. Because tomorrow you may not. Here's the number. 800-499-6300. I'm telling you, go for it. 800-499-6300. 
That's 800-499-6300. All right. Let's see here. Let's take some more calls. We've had some good calls today. Patrick Wilston, North Dakota, XM South. Boy, it must be cold as Siberia up there. Yes, it is. It's, uh, I'd say it's about a good 17 degrees right now. Um, and that's, and that's, that's really high in this, in this time. Well, you may want to put some suntan lotion on and wear a hat. Well, you know, that would be a great idea. And a ball of clava, too. <laughs> All right, go um, for it. Well, Mark, I, I was just going to share a little story. Um, you know, me living out here in the oil patch, when oil went down three years ago, mm-hmm. people left in droves well as to North Dakota. I mean, they were just leaving their stuff. They were selling stuff, and they were going back to their home states where, you know, where they could find another opportunity, another job. These so people the town, the town, you've got productive people leaving. Production has dropped, so that's a disaster for a small town. That is correct. And people are leaving in droves three years ago, and nobody was waiting for, you know, nobody was waiting for any any handouts or anything like that. I mean, people they went to the next they went to the next opportunity, mm-hmm. and opportunity comes. We're losing you. And I said, opportunity. I'm afraid. I'm afraid, and I hate to say this, Patrick. We lost you. I'm very, very sorry. And what Patrick was going to say is he lived out of a truck for six months. And there was no camera there to show Patrick living out of truck in the six months when oil prices were depressed because, you know, those greedy oil companies always trying to make money. Well, the fact is the economy affects them, too. And it affects the people who work for them. When the government passes onerous regulations that affect commercial fishermen, puts them out of business. When the environmental groups take large swaths of land and nationalize them under a president who calls them a monument, puts a lot of people out of work. When a government drives up the minimum wage just because it's what they want to do politically to satisfy their base, destroys a lot of businesses. Look at this soda tax in Philadelphia. Look at all the damage it has done on Coke and Pepsis and so forth. The government has the number one responsibility for killing jobs, killing businesses, and killing uh, entrepreneurship, and on top of that, advances in productivity and so forth. It's never discussed. There's never cameras to show the consequences. Nothing. Instead of showing what the environmentalists do to people in the private sector, they show noble environmentalists. That sort of thing. Sue, where are you, Sue? You're in New York. Hi, Mark. I'm Utica, here. New York. Sirius I'm Satellite. In- How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you tonight? Let me look. Very well, thank you. <laughs> Good. Mark, you're absolutely right. We have to attack them and keep on these these. Democrats are ran as moderates, but I think the first thing that we have to do is we have to start at the local level. We have our Republican committee here in, in our area that's been totally infiltrated by Democrats. 
So we can't get anybody endorsed that isn't a Democrat. So we have to start fighting them tooth and nail. Well, what kind of a stupid local Republican committee that do you have that has bylaws in place that allows them to infiltrate and take it over? Yep. Mark, it was unreal. We had um, people on the committee with Democrat signs up for our Congress, um, against our Congresswoman, uh, Claudia Tenney, who was wonderful, and they were supporting the pro-abortionists who just happened to co-sponsor the latest abortion bill that's on the floor, that will be on the floor. Let, let me, let me ask you a question. Why are Democrats obsessed with abortion? It's their number one issue. They are obsessed. They, they want to expand it beyond, beyond comprehension. They want to fund it, every cent of it. They want it to be available like... Uh, uh, like a fast food is available at McDonald's and Burger King and so forth. What is this sickening obsession with abortion? Well, you know what? I think that they have they have monetary, um, they have revenue coming in. That was the only, that's the only thing that I could think of that would even or may, or maybe they are so devoid of faith and so prayerful of secularism that they simply have lost their way. This bill that um, our Congressman Brindisi had put forth is so egregious that it would, it would make you vomit. Um, it's up until uh, birth. Up until birth, they can abort. And they leave them on the table gasping for air. I know. And this was not covered by any local news media. We had Republicans supporting this congressman, uh, this now congressman. And um, it, since, it, when, since when is it a woman's right to choose? When you have a viable baby, what does that mean? And if somebody else, if some subhuman cockroach, and I, and I mean this as an example, it's a horrible one, but it happens, murders a pregnant woman, they're charged and the, and the baby dies. They don't consider it a fetus anymore. They don't consider it just tissue. They're typically charged with two counts of capital murder. How, do, can, how can anyone explain this? I'm not saying the mother should be charged. I'm saying, how do you explain, in one case, it's moral and should be easy and should be funded, and in the other case, it isn't? Because it's a choice? It's not a matter of a choice. Is it a human being or not? You don't get to make a choice. Well, I'm you, sorry. I know I'm in the minority. I think you're absolutely right that they're devoid any faith. He's Roman Catholic. But we've talked to the bishops. I've called the bishop's office. I am the director of Right to Life in my county. Mm-hmm. And they did nothing to excommunicate him. They supported him, the churches locally. And it's, I think uh, that it's, uh, it's, it's bizarre. What's happened to many of these faiths, including mine, um, at the bureau, I call these the bureaucratic level. You know, in the church, in the temple, uh, depending on what temple, depending on. Uh, uh, how you pray and with whom you pray. Uh, you, have, you have temples that, that preach liberalism. You have churches that preach liberalism. And then they marry them with the religion. And uh, so it becomes a religion. Liberalism. Secularism. Statism. All right, my friend, I appreciate your call. Let us continue, shall we? I think we shall. Andy, somewhere in New Jersey... That I can't pronounce. The great WABC. How are you? Hello? Andy? I stopped him with my genius. All right, I've had an... It's Metuchen, but it doesn't matter. Andy's not there. 
and I'm tired of taking calls. No offense. There's an important piece here I wanted to talk about before we go. Uh, it's in Newsbusters. And by the way, MRC and its various organizations, there's nothing better. Brent Bozell, just a, just a cr- terrific organization staff there. Networks trashed Trump with 90% negative spin in 2018. But did it matter? 90%. It feels like 99%. Rick Noyes, Rich Noyes, at the midpoint of Donald Trump's first term, the establishment media's obvious hostility shows no signs of relenting. But polls show this negative coverage has had no discernible impact on the public's attitudes toward the president. Now let me explain why. Because the people no longer respect the media, the people no longer believe the media are credible. They are destroying themselves. With all these showboating millennial types who have taken over these networks and have really put the dagger in their hearts. Or these has-been, long-in-the-tooth politicians and their girlfriends who become wives, Joe, you've destroyed it. And so, <clears throat> maybe a few more years and so forth of, uh, of oxygen. But I believe this whole area of the media is changing. It's going to change. It's going to have to change. It'll continue to be balkanized. But it will move from these old platforms into different platforms, newer platforms, platforms we can't even imagine right now. But you have an entire generation uh, that doesn't really watch TV, doesn't really listen to the radio, who do things differently. I think even beyond podcasts, there will be other things that we just can't figure out right now. Oh, a beautiful woman just entered the bunker. Looks like my wife. And it is. What do you think, I'm uh, Jeff Bezos here? No. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. that fat slob Carl Bernstein showing up more and more on TV got things hanging out of his mouth things hanging out of his nose he's a reprobate disloyal to his former wife but of course he's very concerned about the character of the president as is Jeff Tubin who cheated on his wife he got all kinds of creepy snake oil salesmen on TV CNN MSNBC Hey, everyone, 2018 is in the books, which means that turkey neck and double chin are not getting better by just ignoring them, right? Fortunately, they're probably getting worse. So if you missed out on Genesel's outrageous Christmas sale, today is the day. It's your lucky day. Because now the brand new Genesel jawline treatment is yours. Absolutely free. When you order the Genesel for under eye bags and puffiness. But wait, here are also three free gifts that you will get for the next two weeks only. Next two weeks only. The Genesel Immediate Effects for results in less than 12 hours. The Genesel XV, our most advanced collagen builder, anti-wrinkle treatment. And Chaminade will even throw in the Genesel Eyelid Treatment. I mean, they're not holding back. 
You just got to check out their website and give them a call. That's three free gifts, but you have to hurry. Call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604, or go to Genesel.com, and when you get there, look for my name, click it, and jump in. Call in the next 20 minutes. Hello! And you'll get free express shipping. Call or click now. And hurry and get the free gifts for a limited time while supplies last. So I want to encourage you to do this. 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604, or genesel.com, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com. What a great company. It really is. All right, let's continue. Kristen, Washington, D.C., the great WABC. Go. Yes, Mark. My husband is a federal employee. Yes. He is Yeah. When he's been watching the local news, which we normally don't do, and when we see all these people, oh, you poor thing, how are you paying your bills? Why don't you, you know, the government needs to reopen, pay the bills. It's like, my daughters hear this and they're like, why don't they have savings? You're supposed to have, you know, at least a few weeks of savings for any emergency. Mm-hmm. We're okay because we do have savings. We do pay attention that, you know, not everything works out all the time. But it's just insane. It is insane because you just hit the nail on the head. Not everything works out all the time. It just doesn't. I don't know of any life that's been smooth from beginning to end. I just don't. Well, I was a a private industry contractor for the federal government. Yeah. I never got paid. You know, my husband was like, that's the time we had just met, and we were talking about this the other day, and he said, well, what about you? I said, I didn't get paid. I didn't work. I didn't get paid. I was private. I was a contractor. It does bother me when you have the Coast Guard and the TSA working and not getting paid. There's something wrong with that. I understand that, and one of my daughter's friends, her dad, is considered essential personnel and is having to work without getting paid. And I was well, I'll tell you why that bothers me. Because there you're requiring somebody to commit their labor to a job, and you'll tell them you'll pay them later. That I don't like. Also, they can't do a side job because they're doing that job and they're not getting paid. So I find that to be completely different than people who are furloughed and not getting paid. You got men and women in the Coast Guard. You got men and women in TSA. They're working. They're showing up. It's not right that they don't get paid. And I think those people, as opposed to the furloughs, I understand, they need to get paid. And so my suggestion is the Republicans and the president propose an appropriation bill to pay the people who are working. Not everybody, because then you'll have government shutdowns all the time. Daniel Horowitz wrote about this at CR. Then there's no point. Yeah. And there was a person who who made a point to me today who is a, a federal employee. And I want people to know who are not federal employees. You have a lot of very patriotic people here. They don't get cameras in their face. They don't get interviewed. A lot of very patriotic people are saying, you know what? We're going to hunker down. We're going to do what we can because the president is right. We got to secure the damn border. And I'll bet your husband is just that way. He is. He is absolutely that way. Well, we salute him. Give him our best. And we wish you all very, very well. Thank you. 
There's a website called NewsHound. It's a radical left-wing kook website. And they like the fact that I mentioned them. But they, they, they have me up there and they say, Mark Levin doesn't support federal workers and, you know, that I'm rich and so forth. I go, wait a minute. I have no control over what's going on. Nancy Pelosi has a lot more money than I do. And that big dumb husband of hers, Paul. She's the one in control of the appropriations process. Don't let the leftists, you know, uh, have you chasing other things or looking in other places. The buck stop with Nancy Pelosi. The President of the United States cannot independently appropriate. Nancy Pelosi must appropriate. And she has. And she has specifically cut out the wall. Because the Democrats now stand for open borders and everything that comes with it. That's the problem. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for listening to the program today. We have a great Levin TV if you want to check that out. 844-LEVIN-TV. I will be here tomorrow. Thank you for watching my Fox show. Ratings were very, very high. And I will see you tomorrow. Take care.